it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes, right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Michael Dolan. He is a writer and has served as an editor for Condé Nast Publications and also Athletes Quarterly. He is the founder of a new press known as Winding Road Stories. So, Michael, thank you for being here. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much for having me. I love the podcast, so it's a pleasure to be on. Of course, of course. We're always looking to introduce the audience to people who are up and coming in the publishing industry, both writers and publishers as well. And I've seen a lot of what you've been doing online lately, and I thought you might be able to talk a little bit about that. Sure. So um, my uh, background was actually in magazine journalism. Uh, And then uh, when the magazine industry started to implode, I started writing books with other people and uh, ghostwriting memoirs and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of fun. And But what would end up happening is once we would finish the book, the person who I helped with a memoir would have no idea how to get it published. And so having that experience a few times, I thought, well, I wonder if there's a lot of people out there that have manuscripts that just, for whatever reason, they didn't get traction with an agent or a publisher, and they just decided to put it in a drawer and forget about it. Right. And so I started Winding Road Stories in uh, 2021, and we opened the doors, and sure enough, we started to get some pretty decent manuscripts come in. And so it's been a very uh, whirlwind two years. I believe last week we published our 21st book. Wow. And um, yeah, it's the response has been great. Uh, and we publish across a variety of genres. Uh, in fiction and nonfiction, but we're always, I mean, mystery and thriller and crime fiction is the genre that's closest to my heart. Mm-hmm. And so I always, whenever I get a manuscript in, in one of those silos, my, just my eyes light up because I'm excited by it. Right. Right. Now you've uh, you said that you've published about 20 books or so. Um, I know that you like the thriller genre and you love the crime genre. Do you find those are very popular genres among the people who purchase your books? Yes, they are. I think that, you know, when it comes to genre fiction, there I, I think there are certain genres that have a richer tradition of independent and small press publishing. And so as a new publisher, we're, we're competing against some really established brands out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's particularly true in, in crime fiction. I mean, there's a lot of places that publish really wonderful crime fiction. Right. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of stories that operate in other genres, but are still crime fiction. Like, I, I think that, you know, people love crime fiction because the stakes are high. Right. And right. so, um, it has a way of, of threading itself into a lot of different things. Um, but what I always tell authors is that the, the genre is a way for people to find your book. Because when you walk into a bookstore, everybody's got that section that they go to, right? And that's the stuff that you love and you go there first. And right. so if you're, if you're sitting in the crime genre, you're, you're speaking to that audience. Like that's your reader, that's your audience. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, you know, if you're in a different genre, but there's crime fiction in it, but you put it in a different genre, you may not get that audience because that audience may not necessarily wander over to that section to find your book. Right. And so that's the, that's the challenge in the, today's world. I think things kind of cross pollinate a lot more, but, um, there's still something very special to me in the storytelling that goes with crime fiction and noir, especially noir fiction, which I love just, just good people making really bad choices <laughs> and, right. and bad people making good choices that don't work out. And right. so, um, and, and there's, there's a lot of wonderful fertile ground there to, to mine. Right. Yeah. I definitely agree. Cause I write in both genres. So I, I absolutely agree with you and that it's good to hear from an independent publisher because a lot of times some of the larger publishers tend to want to uh, find that slot that's popular and keep going down that direction but it sounds like you're open to um, trying to find diamonds in the rough if you will or maybe not so rough um, you know that maybe are undiscovered at this point. Well it's it's an interesting point Terrence because recently I was at the horror writers convention and uh, people would come up to our table and say, well, what kinds of books do you publish? I said, well, we publish horror books. They're like, yeah, but what kind of horror books? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, I write haunted house horror. And so, you know, I think a lot of, when you're that passionate about the genre, you can really slice it very thin, right? And that, that's true of mystery and thriller as well. I mean, you have private eye thrillers, you have cop thrillers, you have, you know, you, there's a, a, a wide gambit of mystery books, you have cozy mysteries, you, you know, so I think that people tend to gravitate towards, a, even within the genre, a smaller tale, um, where they feel their audiences. For us in particular, we don't sit out to say we're looking for a cozy mystery, or right. we're looking for a spy thriller. Honestly, when we're reading a manuscript, the main thing is do we keep turning the page? And that's true of every genre that we read in is like do I want to see what happens next do I care about these characters the universal things that make up all good fiction and Mm -hmm. there's it's absolutely true in in mystery and thriller too is that you want to have characters that you're invested in and you want the story to take you to a place where you don't want to put it down right exactly right and that's why you know even if you look outside just to general fiction with some of the you know I would say non-genre stories I haven't personally enjoyed a lot of them because yeah, they're they're well written and the story is is interesting, but the characters aren't. And mm-hmm. at the fundamental part of it, what no matter what you're writing, whether it's sci-fi or horror or uh, something in the the thriller noir uh, genre, it has to have compelling characters. Uh, that that's what keeps the people turning the page. Yeah, if you're not invested in the character, then you don't care what happens next. Exactly right. You almost want them to leave. <laughs> Send me somebody <laughs> that I do care about. And so, yeah, it, it, that is sort of the quintessential element of uh, the universal element of, of, of good fiction. But especially in, you know, I think mystery readers come to the books that they love because of the storytelling and because mm-hmm. they love the twists in the story and they, they love where the, they love trying to figure it out as you go along. Right. And so, um, there's an extra degree of pressure in not being predictable or, or not having the story end where, where it's seemingly going. And so there's a level of craftsmanship 
in that style of writing that I think is really underappreciated. I think some of the best American novelists now are working in crime fiction. Um, and, and they're just amazing storytellers. And there's a reason why their stuff gets optioned for movies and streaming services and things like that is, I think even more so than ever, because when you have a story that, ha that has a really long trajectory, um, you can now, instead of telling it as a two hour movie, you could tell it as a 10 hour series, mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of the nuance that got lost when something got moved to the screen. Um, and if anybody wants to hear James Elroy talk about LA Confidential, he'll right. tell you everything you wanna know about it. And, uh, but being able to work in a different format and a different venue, I think has been liberating for a lot of authors and a lot of producers that they can tell the story more faithfully. Right, exactly right. And also, I think that particularly when you're talking about crime readers, they always are looking for that undiscovered book that uh, they're not going to be turned off by it being published by an independent publisher they might not have heard of, or one of the big publishing houses. They'll give us a book that might not have gotten all of the attention in the New York Times a chance because they are they enjoy the genre so much and they know that you can find a great book coming from almost anywhere. Well, it's almost like magic. <laughs> if you want to think about it, that like you can go to a big show and uh, see this, you know, great stage illusion, which right. would be like the big five, you know, where it's a lot of money and a lot of production. Or then you could just be with a friend that does a card trick for you and you just can't figure out how they did it. And it's the amazement is still the same, right? You don't, it, it's it's at its essence that sleight of hand and they've got you looking one way and then something else happens. And that's what great mystery writers do. And so I, again, it's that craft, right? That, that you have a, a guy like Ricky Jay that can do a whole Broadway production with a deck of cards. Like right. that's a level of craftsmanship that everyone aspires to, right? But I think that's what you're talking about in terms of the ethos of like independent publishing and small, you know, or even self-publishing, but people that have been working on their craft and are want to bring it to the world and they have something to offer. And I think mystery, because of the voraciousness of the mystery reader, they'll give it a chance. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not limited by, well, I'm only going to read six books, so it's going to be these six. Right. Right, exactly right. Yeah, and, and I found the same thing happens, believe it or not, with the Western genre as well, because a lot of the bigger publishers have found that they, in that genre, have found that people who are publishing 99 cent books are really cutting into their their profits because they will read a 99 cent book. And a lot of them are very well done by people who have self-published them. So it's it's an interesting dynamic in the publishing industry right now to see how it's all leveling out. I'm not even going to broach AI because that's a whole episode of its own at another time. But um, it is interesting to see the rise of the uh, self-published in this particular market. Yeah, somebody joked the other day on Twitter that there's nothing for a dollar at the dollar store anymore. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, there must not be any books there <laughs> because there's plenty of books that people are selling for 99. When you think about how much, and Terrence, you've written a lot of books, so you know this, like when you think about how much work goes into a book, mm -hmm. um, the drafting of it, the editing of it, the rewriting of it, yep. you know, it's years of people's lives at times. 
um, to put that much effort into something to charge 99 cents for it is it's a tough <laughs> it's a tough thing. Um, and you know I I understand why people do it and I I get it and you know, some people some people just want the book in people's hands and that's I get that part too. But I I always feel empathy uh, when someone is is getting so little for something they've done so much for. Right, right. Especially when they're a new writer, because, you know, I've gone to a lot of conferences and I've had some aspiring writers say, well, why can't I just self-publish it? And I said, you know what? It's not just about throwing it up there. It, there's also a rite of passage, if you will, that you need to go through in order to produce a good product. And, and that's whether or not you self-publish it or you um, or you go through a traditional publisher. Either way, you need to hire a proofreader to, to make sure that they edit it properly. You have to have a captivating cover, even though it's on a, maybe a Kindle, it's only an ebook. It still has to be appealing and it has to be formatted properly. And, you know, as writers, we write and we're not necessarily formatters or graphic artists. And we're certainly, I know in my case, not a great proofreader. So that's why I think independent publishers are valuable for people who are just starting out in the industry. Everyone wants to be the maverick. Everybody wants to be the next big thing. But you know what? There's there's something to be said by the uh, baptismal by fire with the uh, process of bringing a book to market. That's a really great point. Um, I, you know, it, self-publishing may be fine. If you have the resources and you have the experience and you could put a, a freelance team of people around you that would do the same type of work as a publisher, mm -hmm. then that could be the way to go. Lawrence Block has self-published his last several books. Right. And the last time I saw him, I asked him, I said, well, why do you do that? You know, like you can, you can still publish anywhere you want. And he said flat out, I get to keep more of the money. Mm -hmm. And that was his, you know, I, I think he was, he's at a point in his life and his career where he's like, no one's really editing me anyway. Right. Um, you know, they kind of let me do what I want. Mm -hmm. And I have enough of the skill set and the resources to, to put a professional cover on there and, and get it done to where it needs to be done. And that's great. But for people that don't, it could really be, I, I think beyond the currency of what it costs to edit something or to hire a proper artist to do a cover, mm -hmm. I think the currency that, new writers lack the most is patience right and yes they just want to get the book and i understand i get it it's like you've worked really hard on this and you want to put it in the world and you can't wait to get it out there even though the meal might not fully be cooked you know right. it might be right. raw inside but you still want to serve it and but you're not realizing you're going to make people sick and so you know <laughs> that but that I, I understand the enthusiasm and you don't want to temper people's enthusiasm. You want them to, but like you said, we write. So you write and you finish that and people are already like, I want to do what's next, especially in this genre where maybe you're trying to do a series. Right. And so you want to get to book two right away and you just want book one to be done. So like that's the foundation of book two. But patience is so rewarding to get the, that book you know, an author asked me, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping around, but an author asked me the other day, we were talking about, I would, I'm trying to get her to sign on to, the, to do a book with us. And she asked a really interesting question. She said, what is your definition of a successful book? 
I thought that was a great question. Yeah. It's probably different for everybody. And what I told her was my definition of a successful book, as, at least as it relates to Winding Road Stories, is that when you write it and you publish it, you're proud of it. And that you will always look back on it. Because so many times I'll hear authors say, don't read that one. Right. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I, I didn't they didn't edit it properly. It's it's there's typos in it. Just don't don't read. That's not indicative of my work. I never want anybody to feel that way. I like you've worked this hard. You've gotten this far. Like, take the time to get it right and get it out. And if you do that, that will be a foundational book. And then when you do a second book or a third book, people will go back and discover that first book and right. it'll find a whole new audience to it. But if that first book is wonky, it's it's never going to find the audience that that you think it should or that you think it deserves. And so, mm. like, no, I don't can't remember a single author ever telling me I wish I had published it sooner. Right. Yeah. You know. Exactly right. Yeah. And then, and it's also to look at it from a thousand foot view perspective. Writers often win the war, which is getting the book done, but then they screw up the piece by trying to bring it to market too quick and, and and not put in that work at the end. That's the boring stuff that a lot of us don't like to do because it's not our, our core strength. Even if we're professional marketers, when it's your own product, it's tough to be able to look at it from uh, an impartial view and a publisher can do that. A hundred percent. I met at that horror conference. I met a guy who was actually an internet marketer. He wasn't a writer, but he was trying to write. And it was fascinating to see the complete flip side of what we go through because he was basically market testing what he was writing. So he was market testing the titles. He was market testing the covers, where he put it, the Amazon ads, all of the marketing stuff. That's the stuff that he loved to do. And mm -hmm. he knew really well he was doing and he really enjoyed that part the tough part for him was the actual writing part of it and right. i thought what he did was really interesting was that he started he wrote novellas like he started writing smaller books oh. so he yelled down the, the part that he didn't like and uh and he started writing things that were like 15,000 words 20,000 words and and he kept messing with the cut but he was doing pretty well like he had a lot of traffic at the convention People are interested in the ideas, but, and, but, and, and to what I said earlier, like, he's like, this is my haunted house book. This is my, um, uh, lost at sea book. Like he had all these different horror categories and mm -hmm. he had written one for each just to see what would happen. So, right. but we're, we're not, we're introverted. Writers are introverted. We don't like to talk about ourselves that much. We, um, have difficulty bragging about our work, uh, or, or being perceived as bragging about our work. Right. Um, and it's challenging to, you know, be found in that ocean of books when you go on Amazon and, and you go into a bookstore. Um, <laughs> there's a wonderful author named Jenny Ophel, and she used to, she's an amazing author. And mm -hmm. she used to work at a bookstore right near my house. And I asked her about that experience. And she said, there's nothing more soul killing than being in a bookstore and someone picks up your book on the table and your eyes light up and you get so excited and they just flip through it and they just put it back down and they haven't even looked to see what it's about. And you just think, <laughs> I can't believe I spent two years doing this. And this person didn't even read the back cover copy and it's, it's crushing. Um, but I totally, it's hard. It's, it's a hard thing to get noticed in this business.
It certainly is, yeah, especially with all of the traffic that's on there and uh, um, ebooks and print books and and all of the different uh, things that are competing for our time once you're on that device. You know, if you got a tablet or something like that, yeah, you've got your Kindle or your Barnes and Noble or another app that you read your books on, but then there's also the news alerts that pop up, text messages that pop up, and that media competes for your eyeballs. So it's even tougher for writers today to try to compete against that, plus the games that they have on, on everything. So it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, 100%. Very much so. It really is. Now, with your group, what kind of... Um, they, what what do you do for the writer once they sign on for you? Do you submit it for reviews? I know you're you're a soup to nut shop. Um, I'm just looking to go through your process of, of what you do for a writer. So you're, you're talking about the marketing, not the the actual production process. Well, you, from soup to nuts, once you accept it, then right, you, yeah. you go through. Um, if you could go through that, so people know. Yeah, sure. The full um, shop. So once we once we sign on. Um, and, you know, manuscripts come in, in different forms of readiness. You know, I used that analogy before about it being uncooked. And, right. and so some things are, you know, 85% baked, some things are 50% baked. And so, you you know, what, what we decide to take on is sort of dependent on um, if, if we really think the author has the, the ambition to execute what we think the book can be. Mm -hmm. um, and they're willing to put in the work to make it better. And that's, that's a challenge too, because sometimes we'll get pitched something and we'll be like, we think this could be better. This parts of it will need to be written. And the person, thankfully thus far, everybody's been really honest with us. And so sometimes people will say, look, I've been working on this for five years. I've been through three different agents. I've been through four rewrites. I can't, I just can't. And it, that's fine. Like that's where they are and that's where we are. And you just kind of agree to part ways. If we got an agreement, we'll go into the book and we'll we'll go through line by line to try to make it what it could be. We'll really try. I what I like to say is that we usually at that point the author's written good songs, and now we're coming in to mix the album. You know, right. the drums got to be louder here, the vocals got to be a little softer here, and we're really just trying to amplify what the author's trying to do. Right. Um, so we'll do that, and that process can vary greatly in terms of time, but we'll mm -hmm. get to a final manuscript. Then we'll start to get the books out for reviews, um, and there's, there's, that takes a lot of different shapes or forms, right? You have sort of the main, uh, you know, the reviews that everybody wants to try to get, which are difficult, right. and if, even with big publishers, mm -hmm. um, but also you want to get a volume of reviews because in today's world, if you've got a hundred views on Amazon, it will push the book out more. Right. And it'll make you more visible. So even, you know, months and months before the book comes out, we're sort of trying to teach the author how to do that, how mm -hmm. to um, collect people, build, I mean, I guess the, the parlance is street team, but a group of people that will read the book in advance and offer a review, an honest review. And um, you start to build, and we'll work on other promotions. There are other promotions out there that have varying degrees of effectiveness um, right. where you can do giveaways and people get it and read it and review it and stuff like that. Um, so we'll do that. Obviously we'll help with the distribution of the book as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, but what we're really trying to do mostly is we're trying, we try to take a longer term 
approach to this. So we're trying to help the author build a little bit, and I, I, I hate this word, but it's for lack of a, a little bit of a platform right. that they can work from so that when the second book comes out, it's a little bit easier. They're not right. starting from zero. Maybe they're starting from 2000 fans or 3000 fans. And so you, you, we're really just trying to work with them through the, the development of the story, the cover, which is a really important marketing tool. Anybody that tells you you can't judge a book by its cover was lying to you. And then the promotional aspect of it, but also understanding the, the job that comes with that. It is a job. And uh, I think a lot of times authors think that I've done the book, it's out, and now it's the publisher's job or the publicist's job whatever the case may be, to, but like you're promoting your book all the time. Yeah. Everybody promotes, Stephen King promotes his books. Everybody promotes their books. And so, and you will find, like, I remember being at BoucherCon last year and Sean Cosby won every award and God bless him, my friend. He, he, he was on 10 panels. He was on panels he wasn't even supposed to be on. People would pull him into rooms, he'd be on them. <laughs> He was going to luncheons. He was going to dinners. He was doing stuff for his agent. He was doing stuff for other people. He was introducing people to other people. Like right. not stop for four days. And I told him, I said, I don't know how you do it. Like, I thought it was like that movie with um, Christian Bale where he has a twin brother. Like, Oh, the, right. Yeah. Right? I was like, do you have a twin here? And he said, um, he said his mother always told him that a, a penny doesn't shine forever. And so that was, he was like, I'm, I understand I'm popular now and I have something that people want. And I, it, that doesn't mean that you stop working. You have to keep right. working out. And so a lot of writers don't understand that. And they're often amazed when I tell them that the average amount of time that a small press or, or a self-published author publishes their book is three weeks. They do it for three weeks and then they stop. Right. The average amount of time that a successful author uh markets their book is three years right so that's a huge difference you know and that that three years of constantly building your audience building your audience it sells that book but it's going to sell the other books too like you're right. out there you're becoming more of a recognizable face and a recognizable voice in your genre you're making connections in a genre with other authors mm -hmm. um, and that helps when it comes time to get blurbs for your next book you have people that are going to support it that their readers might come to you. Right. And so you're so we're always working with our authors to try to build that base, that foundation where you have a sustainable writing practice, where if you want to continue doing this, you've got the elements in place to succeed. Right. And I think that's a really challenging thing that some publishers are really good at and some publishers aren't as good at. It's right. sort of helping authors take a holistic look at what they're doing and understanding how to efficiently use their time right. to start to build an audience. Exactly. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> it certainly does. And it's an honest answer too, because it, it's tough to find an independent publisher that's going to be that frank about the uh, possibilities of what they can bring to a work. Because they'll say, oh no, we'll, we can get you guaranteed Amazon bestseller list. We've done it before, we'll do it again. It's not like that. It's um, or we can make you the next Jack Carr. 
you know, people, especially aspiring writers or, or people who've had a couple of books out and are think that they're ready for a hit, they just have to realize that people like Jack Carr and Sean Cosby are lightning in a bottle. It doesn't happen every day. It doesn't even happen every year for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that's because there was just something about the timing of that book, no matter what the genre is, that found a home and people liked it and it caught a wind. And that's that can't always be planned for. And that's the expectation I think some writers really need to always keep in the back of their mind. And to keep in mind, like really be critical of what the person, whether it's an agent or a publisher or an editor is promising you. Like, and it's wonderful to be an Amazon bestseller, but if you're Amazon bestseller in a category that's really small and it only requires 10 books to sell to be an Amazon bestseller, I mean, it's great to have the ribbon but you sold 10 books and a book that wasn't a bestseller might've sold a thousand and they may not have that banner, but, but, you know, I'd rather be the person that sold a thousand books. Cause that's a thousand people that I can potentially have as a reader for life. So, right. you know, a, a lot of the stuff, you know, there, there is an element of salesmanship yeah. where people are trying to get people to sign on to books. Um, and, and so you, the sustainability to me is the most important thing. Like if somebody's written a good book, in my opinion, um, if they have the passion to continue doing this, they certainly have another one in them. And mm-hmm. so you want them to be encouraged and feel good about where they're going in the direction that they're going in. And that Amazon bestseller in 10 sales isn't necessarily going to propel somebody to spend another year of their life writing another book to get a second b- banner that sells another 10 copies. Right. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's, it, I think also when I, I talk to writers who were just starting out, I always tell them once you finish the book, that's just finishing phase one of the process. There is a much longer process, much more detailed than you might want to believe than, um, than you might think, because people are not just going to swoop in and take your book and, and run with it. Yeah, it takes a little bit more elbow grease uh, in some areas you might not be comfortable with. Well, and also the, the industry has changed. The book industry used to resemble the magazine industry in the sense that um, when I was in the magazine industry, we would publish, I worked in magazines where we'd publish 5 million copies of a magazine in a month and we'd put it everywhere, try to sell it everywhere. And if we sold 35%, they'd have a parade for us. That was a huge month for us. The other right. 65% never once sold, right? Book companies kind of work very similarly. They would guesstimate what they think they could sell and they would do a printing. And if it did well and the printing sold out, they would do another printing. And when it got to the point where the bookstore felt like they were getting stuck with books, they'd take the book out of print. They would tell the author, look, that's it. We, we went as far as we could go. We had a good run. And now the, it's over. Mm-hmm. Well, now with print on demand, your book is, is available in perpetuity, right? I mean, it can be published as long as you're willing to sell and market it. So if you look at it from that point of view, if you take a longer term approach, as long as you continue to talk about your book and market your book, there, there could be an audience for it and there could be sales. And so it's not getting pulled off the shelf. I mean, you know, you might have a deal with your publisher and it, it might lapse after a certain time and you have to work out the copyright and all that, but you can take the copyright on your own and publish. Like there's a, you, it's your intellectual property. And, and so as long as you feel like that book is valuable, and that goes back to what I was saying at the, with you in the beginning, which is like, you got to make sure that book is exactly the way you want it and that you're proud of it because you'll sell it for as long as you can. Right. 
Right, exactly right. Yeah, and it's because it's always it, for good or for ill is always going to be available someplace online. So it's best to have the best possible product you can so that you can be proud of it and uh, continue to help it propel you to other works. That and also like once you're in the black, you're in the black. So every time, you know, you sell another book, that's it's found money. So right. like, you know, and I think that's the one thing that we've been very good at is we've really kept the overhead low so that our authors get into the black very quickly and mm -hmm. they can start to see royalties right away because uh, a lot of times, you know, I think one of the advantages we have as a small publisher, you're working with a big publisher, there's a lot of overhead that they have to cover. Right. And so once all that accounting gets baked into your sales, um, you, you got to sell a lot to get out and earn your advance back and get into royalties. And, you know, a lot of people don't ever see that. Um, and they feel, they feel like they failed in a way, you know, rather than like, it, it's amazing because somebody at a big publisher could sell 50,000 books and feel like they failed because they didn't earn out their advance. And right. then somebody at a small publisher could sell 5,000 books and feel like a champion because they are making royalties and continue to make royalties. Right. And right. so, you know, they're, they're very different structures, but, um, it's all kind of how you view the long term of it. Exactly right. Yeah, it's it's all about accepting the long game for being not just a phrase, but being a very very long game. Yeah. Um, now, for your organization, are you guys uh, open to submissions from people who have agents who don't and who don't have agents, or how does that work for writers who might be interested? Yeah, we're open to either. We never tell anyone whether they should or shouldn't have an agent. That's their prerogative and their choice. Mm -hmm. Um, but we work with everybody. Um, it's really mostly about the quality of the book and it's about being able to come to, a, a, an agreement, uh, on the financial structure of the deal that makes sense for everybody involved. And right. so if we can do those two things, yeah, we, we work with people with agents, without agents. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter to us. Uh, it, it's really just more a question of, you know, what's, what's important to the author, mm -hmm. right? And th things are different to different authors. Some authors, they, they wrote this book, but they really want to make a movie. And that's what they, that's their number one goal. Mm -hmm. um, some authors, their goal is they just want to be in Barnes and Noble. Like their goal was like, they're growing up, they went into Barnes and Noble and they want their book in Barnes and Noble. So everybody's right. got a sort of a different set of priorities. Um, and so you work with them to try to make it work. And if you, and if we can come to a deal, then that's great. You know, yeah. no, and usually we do. I, I think there's been very, I think there's only been one or two times where we couldn't come to an agreement. And um, I think both sides agree. I, I don't think either side felt they were being unreasonable. Right. You know, it's just that our priorities and their priorities didn't align and just didn't work out. But it's, you know, that's part of the process too. That's exactly right. That's, that's part of the business. You've got an awful lot going on. And what's the best way that people can keep track of you, keep track of the publishing house on social media, your website, places like that? Sure. So we're on, uh, uh, I don't know if you want to call it Twitter or X or the site that <laughs> shall not be named. We're on there at Winding Road Stories. And uh, I'm on there at Mike Dolan NY. Um, we're also on Instagram as well. Uh, the website is windingroadstories.com. All of our submission guidelines are on there. And um, so it'll tell you everything you need to know about the types of books that we're looking for, 
how people can submit. Um, you know, please read the guidelines I would recommend. Um, we usually try to cap what we receive at works that are within 100,000 words. Okay. You know, sometimes we'll get stuff that's like 400,000 words and I'm like, I don't even know the architecture of making a 400,000 word book. Um, um, but I, I think more than that, um, and you see that more in like the fantasy genre where things sure. are really sprawling up, but that shows me that the person hadn't really thought out what it was because that there may be a great story there. It might be four books. It might be eight books. It might be 16 novellas, but they haven't really, they just did it and they just pushed all their chips into the table from the middle of the table and they're like, help me, you know, right. and that's not the foot you want to put forward. Right. And so the more you kind of have an idea of this is exactly what I want to do. And I'm looking for a collaborator to do this with, like I'm looking for a partner. That's where you want to be. As right. Well. That's fantastic. And I think that you, you've definitely um, laid out a lot of what's going on here in the publishing world and how winding road press is, is really trying to navigate that. And that's, uh, that's rare these days because it's uh, a lot of people don't go into the, the, weeds like that. And I, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Terrence, thank you for having me on. And when you're in New York, man, you got to let me know. I definitely will. We can commiserate about our Yankees. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly well, everyone, right. I know it's a, that's, that's another podcast in and of itself. Yes. But anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in today for another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.